were lucky enough to have lived in Paris as a young man, then wherever you go for the rest of your life, it stays with you. For Paris is a movable feast. Ernest Hemingway, A Movable Feast. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and for our first Book Review Tuesday of 2023, we're actually looking at several books, because a lot of people make resolutions to have reading plans over a new year, and I included several this time in case that's something you want to do. We're going to be covering a period that interests me and interests a lot of people, which is the post-World War I years in Paris. So let's get started. In today's episode, we return to my favorite author, as most of you are well aware, and one of the greatest authors to ever walk the planet, Ernest Hemingway. This time, our focus is on five books, actually six books, but we'll get into that later that not only give us insight into the man and his art during a critical, formative, and transformative period in his life, but a pivotal moment in the history of literature as well. These books cover Hemingway's years in Paris, from his December 1921 arrival until he moved to Key West in 1928. They include both fiction and nonfiction and should be a part of every book lover's library. So let's get started first book is A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway. You should always start with the great man's own words. And yes, this account of his parish years was written 30 years after the events and not published until three years after his death, but he didn't rely solely on distant memory. An employee at the Ritz Hotel in Paris reminded Hemingway during a 1956 stay there that he had a trunk stored in the hotel's basement from 1930. That trunk which had survived the Second World War intact, contained personal letters and two stacks of notebooks from his early days in Paris, and that material forms the bulk of a movable feast. The book gives a first-hand account and valuable insight into both Hemingway's writing process, great American expat writers of the time like Ezra Pound, Gertrude Stein, and F. Scott Fitzgerald, and a compelling historical account of the period of the 20th century that still fascinates us today. It also contains some of the best Hemingway quotes ever, from the epigraph at the start of this episode to his uncharacteristically sweet comment about Sylvia Beach, owner of the Shakespeare and Company bookstore in Paris. Of her, he wrote, No one that I ever knew was nicer to me. Our second book is Hemingway, The Parish Years by Michael Reynolds. This is the second volume in Reynolds' acclaimed five-volume biography of Hemingway. All five parts deserve your attention, but thankfully they don't have to be read in chronological order, so we can start here without any problem. One reviewer called it, quote, the best book about how Hemingway became Hemingway. Now, I'll admit, it isn't always an easy read for me, because it presents a full picture of the man, warts and all. 
when you lionize someone the way I do Hemingway, you sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, turn a blind eye to the flaws. For example, I refuse to admit that Springsteen ever wrote a bad song. Reynolds, however, finds a way to do what other biographers could not. He shows us the good and the bad in a way that in no way diminishes the man, but also doesn't end up as hagiography. And it's a window not just into Hemingway, but Paris in the 20s as well. Again, warts and all. Our third book in this list is actually two books, which is why it's six and not five total but only because of an arbitrary division by the editors. For several years now, the Cambridge University Press has been compiling a multi-volume set of the letters of Ernest Hemingway. And for the purposes of this episode, you'll need volume two, which covers the years 1923 to 1925, and volume three, which covers 1926 to 1929, in order to cover all of the parish years. I think their main purpose in splitting the parish years into two volumes, besides the obvious benefit of making more money on an extra book, is that volume two covers the period from his arrival in Paris to just before the publication of The Sun Also Rises, while volume three covers the years from his explosion onto the literary scene after the publication of Sun Also Rises to his departure from France. If you've never read any of Hemingway's letters, he was a voluminous correspondent, you're in for a treat because he was easily as entertaining in his letters as he was in his fiction. The letters show his correspondence with everyone from family and friends to other literary giants of the day. It doesn't hurt that, not surprisingly, Hemingway was a bit of a gossip. The only downside for some with this series, though it's not a downside for me at all, is that they're only available in hardcover and thus pricier than you might otherwise expect. Personally, except for the pain of having to move them, I like hardcover books better than paperback. Number four, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. And you surely didn't think that this list would leave off his greatest novel and one of the best ever written. I know that many critics consider A Farewell to Arms his best. Some actually prefer For Whom the Bell Tolls even more than that. And of course, both of those are amazing. But The Sun Also Rises is the one that tops his work for me. Maybe because it's the first Hemingway I ever read, and I was as blown away by it as those first readers in 1926. The Sun Also Rises is the story of the lost generation, an illuminating look into the world of the post-World War I generation and the people that survived that great cataclysm forever changed. It doesn't focus solely on Paris, but ventures into Spain as well, And it gives us two of literature's great tragic characters, Lady Brad Ashley and Jake Barnes. This novel introduced the Hemingway style, lean, spare, not a word wasted, to the world, and forever changed the way authors write. And it has one of the greatest last lines ever. We wrap up our list with an in-depth account of the true story behind The Sun Also Rises. It's Leslie Bloom's book, Everybody Behaves Badly, the true story behind Hemingway's masterpiece, The Sun Also Rises. It's a wordy title, yes, but the book itself is a page-turner. It covers some of the same ground as the previous books I've mentioned, but with an emphasis on both the writing of The Sun Also Rises and the real people that inspired it. A 
and you may be shocked to see how little Hemingway disguised some of the characters and incidents. As the book shows, the real-life folks were definitely shocked, and unknown to most readers today is the scandal the book caused in some quarters of Paris, London, and New York. I had a book club a few years ago that read this book in tandem with The Sun Also Rises, and it was one of my favorite book discussions ever. So that's five, actually six books that take a deep look into the life and times of America's greatest novelist in a pivotal era for both him, literature, and history itself. Reading any of these books will likely lead you to discover even more books, authors, and personalities of that era, which is kind of the point. To suggest just a few others really quickly covering the era, check out Sylvia Beach's Shakespeare and Company, The Letters of Sylvia Beach, Sylvia Beach and the Lost Generation, A History of Literary Paris in the 20s and 30s by Noel Riley Fitch. Are you getting the idea that I also love Sylvia? And also, the autobiography of Alice P. Toklas by Gertrude Stein. In any case, enjoy the journey, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll go a long way towards helping us create more episodes and hopefully becoming completely ad-free. Thanks a lot.